Welcome back. Thank you for joining us for our study through the book of Ecclesiastes. My name is Gregory Baines. I'm on staff here at First Baptist Keller. I appreciate uh, Brother Tyler these last couple weeks bringing us the word and getting us started here in Ecclesiastes. And um, we're going to continue in chapter 4, verses 13 um, through chapter 5, verse 7. And um, I pray that this study would be beneficial to you and encourage you and and help you to walk closer with Jesus. Uh, So grab your Bible, get ready, open to Ecclesiastes chapter 4. And while you're you're turning there, I'm going to say a word of prayer for us, ask God to bless our study today. Father, thank you that your word is living, um, that it it can speak to us today. Lord, even though it was written so long ago, God, that that you are are, are so... um, powerful and, and so wise um, that your word speaks to us today. Um, so I pray it would now. God, would you speak to us through your word, help us to understand who you are, understand who we are, and to walk in faithful obedience to you, uh, to be shaped more in the image of Christ because of what we learn here today. Uh, thank you for your word. Thank you for your goodness to us. Bless our time together now in Jesus' name. Amen. So, The book of Ecclesiastes, written by King Solomon, just a little bit of of context for us, um, deals with some very practical questions. How can I make myself happy? How can I find um, purpose in this? And uh, we're going to see today Solomon continue to talk more about that, but also give some really practical instruction for us as, as people. Um, now, this was not written to us modern day. It was written to the children of Israel, but there are some truths and some principles that we can take and, and use in our lives and understand how to, to worship God better. So let's look here. Ecclesiastes chapter 4, verse 13. We're going to read 13 through 16, and then we'll, we'll talk about that for a little bit, then we'll go to chapter 5. So Ecclesiastes 4, verse 13. A poor yet wise lad is better than an old and foolish king who no longer knows how to receive instruction, for he has come out of prison to become king, even though he was born poor in his kingdom. I have seen all the living under the sun thronged to the side of the second lad who replaces him. There is no end to all the people, to all who were before them, and even the ones who will come later will not be happy with him, for this too is vanity and striving after wind. Again, we have vanity, striving after wind. A book of Ecclesiastes, such an encouraging and, and um, helpful, fun book. Um, no, really, it is quite depressing, um, and, and the resolution isn't given until chapter 12, so we're going to hang in some of that tension today. Um, but let's look here in, in 413 and talk about what this means. Um, a poor yet wise lad is better than an old and foolish king who no, no longer knows how to receive instruction. Pretty simple, right? Wisdom is better than foolishness. We get that. But then we get to verse 14, and there is a little bit of confusion, one you have to kind of read a few times to understand what's going on, and there's a couple ways you can take it. It says, for he has come out of prison to become king, even though he was born poor in his kingdom. So there's kind of two ways to look at this here. One, that for he, the young man, even though um, he was poor, the young man, has come into the old man's kingdom. Let's look at that again. For he, the young man, has come out of prison to become king, the young wise lad, even though he, he, the young wise lad, was born poor in his, the old man's kingdom. That's one way to read it. Another is to read for he, the old man, 
has come out of prison to become king, even though he, the old man, was born poor in his kingdom, the old man. Um, so you read them all as the old king who is foolish now and, and no longer listens to instruction. Either way, um, the point is the same as we read verse 15. I have seen all the living under the sun throng to the side of the second lad who replaces him. Power, influence, um, the love of the masses is vanity and striving after the win. It is not something to be sought for. Um, it is not something to find our satisfaction, our purpose in. Um, for us to remember that kings come and kings go. Powerful people come and go. And it is not something that we should stake our lives on or build um, our lives toward, to work toward. And many people do. And, and this is sad. Um, you know, Ecclesiastes, as I mentioned earlier, deals with, with very practical questions. It's the, can blank make me happy or give me purpose? Can wisdom make me happy? Solomon dealt with in chapter one. Can money, uh, possessions make me happy? Pleasure, work, even work, justice, power here we see. Um, and, and we see all, all is vanity, striving after the wind. Um, now, feels like a little bit of a, of a shift in chapter 5, where the preacher, who is Solomon, writes in verse 1, so look at 5.1, guard your steps as you go to the house of God, and draw near to listen rather than to offer the sacrifice of fools, for they do not know they are doing evil. Do not be hasty in word or impulsive in thought to bring up a matter in the presence of God, for God is in heaven and you are on earth, therefore... Let your words be few, for the dream comes through much effort and the voice of a fool through many words. When you make a vow to God, do not be late in paying it, for he takes no delight in fools. Pay what you vow. It is better that you should not vow than that you should vow and not pay. Do not let your speech cause you to sin, and do not say in the presence of the messenger of God that it was a mistake. Why should God be angry on account of your voice and destroy the work of your hands? For in many dreams and in many words there is emptiness. Rather, fear God. Now, let's look here at, at chapter 5, verse 1, and remember something very important, that context is vital in understanding the meaning of a passage, especially in the Old Testament, but in the New Testament as well. Um, this is written to the children of Israel during the time of temple worship. While temple worship was still a practice, Solomon was the one who dedicated and built the temple. Um, David had the, the tools and the materials ready for him, but Solomon was the one that, that got to do it. And um, as he observed, as the preacher was looking at Israel as the king, um, he saw many going and offering the sacrifice of fools in chapter 5, verse 1. And so when, when he talks about the house of God, he, he's talking about the temple and the sacrifice of fools is a sacrifice that is offered in a foolish way, right? So that can mean a few things, but I think in context, what we see here, the sacrifice of fools was from the people who assumed that they were obeying by just offering the sacrifices, going through the motions, that they could just bring a lamb or bring a bull or bring some doves or whatever and sacrifice them to the Lord and that God would be pleased with them. I'm immediately reminded when I think through that of Psalm 51, 15 through 17, that says, uh, Lord, open my lips and my mouth will declare your praise. You do not 
desire a sacrifice, or I would bring it. You are not pleased with burnt offerings. The sacrifice pleasing to God is a broken spirit. God, you will not despise a broken and contrite or humble heart. God is always concerned with the heart, especially in a, in a sacrifice and an act of worship. What matters is, is way less the, the type of sacrifice or the, the proper way to slit a throat or it, all that stuff, all the physical acts of it, though God gives clear instruction on that. And, and to worship Him rightly, we have to worship the way He desires to be worshiped. Um, but what matters most is, is the heart here. These people were, were dealing with, with the practical elements of their religion instead of the moral, the heart that God longs for and desires. So these people worshiped idols. They did not follow the Ten Commandments. They were covetous. They were um, foolish in all their conduct. Yet they thought if they just went and offered a lamb to the Lord, they would be fine. And that is the sacrifice of fools. And this is why Solomon says, draw near and listen. Here, these people were failing in that. And verse 2, do not be hasty in word or impulsive in thought to bring up a matter in the presence of God. Um, now go, let's go back to, to verse 1 real quick before we move on to verse 2. Um, I, I think of Psalm chapter 24, verses 3 4 says, Who may ascend the hill of the, uh, hill of the Lord, and who may stand in his holy place? He who has clean hands and a pure heart, who does not lift up his soul to an idol, and does not swear deceitfully. Now, idol worship was, was a problem through the times of the judges, and even now into the kings, and, and Solomon failed greatly. And, you know, he had 300 wives and 700 concubines and foreign women that God had commanded for the Israelites not to marry. And the reason being is because those foreign women brought idols into the land, into the nation. And the husbands who married these foreign wives worshipped these false idols right along with them. And Solomon had had failed in this. So his command here as an old man, as he's writing here, um, is to not offer the sacrifice of fools, which means to come to the Lord in hypocrisy and offer a sacrifice to him and turn around and offer a sacrifice to a false god. Later, I'm reminded of um, Elijah and the prophets of Baal and, and the, the false worship there, all of these things, um, which that happens later, but all these things or issues that show the heart of the children of Israel. This is what Solomon is trying to, to combat, offer um, do not offer the sacrifice of fools, but go and listen and hear the word of the Lord and be shaped and changed by it. Now we, we see in verse 2, do not be hasty in word or impulsive in thought to bring up a matter in the presence of God, for God is in heaven and you are on earth. Therefore, let your words be few. Now we've just gone through the book of Job um, these past few months, and I was reminded of Job chapter 31, verse 35, speaking of a hasty word. And he says, Oh, that I had one to hear me. Behold, here is my signature. Let the Almighty answer me. This is after he has given a, a resume, if you will, of his good works, his moral behavior. I haven't done this. I haven't fallen this. And, and I want to sign on the dotted line. Let the Lord answer me. I, want to, I wish I could speak in his presence. Um, and later, we see that Job uh, changes his tune in chapter 41, where he's says, I put my hand on my mouth. I have spoken of, of things I, I did not know of. And 
he was too hasty in his words, um, which is why the wisdom here, the advice here is don't be hasty or impulsive. Remember who God is, that he is in heaven, you are on earth. Therefore, let your words be few before him. Then we get to verse 3, which says, For the dream comes through much effort, and the voice of a fool through many words. When you make a vow to God, do not be late in paying it, for he takes no delight in fools. Pay what you vow. It is better that you should not vow than that you should vow and not pay. Do not let your speech cause you to sin, and don't say in the presence of the messenger of God that it was a mistake. So, Back to verse 3 here. The dream comes through much effort and the voice of a fool through many words. There's some issue here in understanding what we're talking about. It's one that, that when we think of a dream in our context, usually that's a, that's a good thing, you know. Um, fulfill your dream. Pursue your dream. What's your dream? What's, what's your dream job? Here's your dream house. Dreams are, are generally a good thing. But here in this context, the dream comes through much effort. Speaking about these weird dreams that, that come when you're so exhausted, you've, you've effort, you can't sleep, you're having all these problems, um, the voice of a fool through many words, and, and the, the comparison drawn here is that both are not good things, being a fool or, or this dream. And so don't um, speak many words or else your foolishness will be shown and you will be known to be a fool. And this is echoed you know, all in the New Testament as well. Uh, not just in when we talked about Job speaking hastily in, in 31, but also immediately if you think James 1.19 says, be quick to listen, um, slow to speak, and slow to anger. And there's there's wisdom, so much wisdom in that. We've been going through Proverbs um, this summer, and one of my favorites is even a fool um, seems wise when he remains silent. So what Solomon is dealing with is is people with hasty words making vows to God and not being able to fulfill them and and bringing judgment upon themselves because of it. Now, Jesus dealt very specifically with this idea of making a hasty vow and breaking it. So turn over to Matthew chapter 5, verse 33. We'll see the issues that Jesus raises with this idea. Matthew 5.33 says, Again, you have heard that the ancients were told, You shall not make false vows, but shall fulfill your vows to the Lord. But I say to you, make no oath at all, either by heaven, for it is the throne of God, or by earth, for it is the footstool of his feet, or by Jerusalem, for it is the city of the great king. Nor shall you make an oath by your head, for you cannot make one hair white or black. But let your statement be, Yes, yes or no, no. Anything beyond these is of evil. So the problem in this this worship practice here was they would would make these vows as a Lord, I am going to do this for you. I'm going to give you this, or I'm going to do all these things because that's how they thought God would be pleased with them, as if God was in need of their great effort or their great um, promise here. And and God does not need any of that. Um, he is is not in need of one thing, he owns all, and he takes no delight in fools who make vows and don't break them. He's looking for the wise. And, and so Jesus says, just let your yes be yes and your no be no, and don't make an oath, don't make a vow, don't do anything like that, especially before the Lord that you're not going to keep because you bring judgment on yourself. Now let's turn back over to Matthew chapter 
5, and I guess we're still there. Look at Matthew chapter 6. Just turn the page over, and, and Jesus is going to talk about many words, as we saw in, in chapter 5, verse 3 of Ecclesiastes. Many words is the voice of a fool. And I, th- I think that's the reason Solomon is writing this to the people in line with how to approach the house of God and not offer the sacrifice of fools is because they had been influenced by this pagan worship. Think of Elijah at Mount Carmel when the prophets of Baal were seeking to to bring fire down from Baal to consume uh, their sacrifice. They were yelling louder and louder. They cut themselves. The the pagan practice, the thought was with enough words and with enough earnestness, you could get a God to respond to you and do what you like. And, and friends, there are many today who call themselves Christians that believe the same thing. If I just pray enough, if I if I work hard enough at it, then God will hear my prayer and answer me and I'll get what I want from him. Like God is our genie who we just have to unlock the secret formula. And Jesus is very clear um, to confront this false teaching. And he says in Matthew chapter 6, um, verse 6, When you pray, go into your inner room, close your door, and pray to your Father who is in secret, and your Father who sees what is done in secret will reward you. And when you are praying, do not use meaningless repetition as the Gentiles do, for they suppose that they will be heard for their many words. So do not be like them, for your Father knows what you need before you ask Him. And then he gives the the model prayer, the Lord's Prayer. God is not swayed by a multitude of words. And these Israelites needed to hear, don't be like the pagans. Don't worship that way. Our God is not like their God. He is different. He is not in need of your sacrifice. So quit offering the sacrifice of fools. Quit taking vows that you can't keep and quit running your mouth and trying to get God to love you through your words. Um, because it's impossible. This is in verse 6 we see, do not let your speech cause you to sin. This is back in Ecclesiastes chapter 5 verse 6. Do not let your speech cause you to sin. Do not say in the presence of the messenger of God that it was a mistake. Why should God be angry on account of your voice and destroy the work of your hands? For in many dreams and in many words there is emptiness. Rather fear God. And this is this is a hint. I'm going to um, give it away a little bit of, of what Solomon's going to get to in chapter 12. But but fear God. Two words, very big, very crucial foundational statement to understanding our relationship with the Lord. We must fear Him. He is to be revered. He is to be honored. We're to remember, like verse 2 says, that He is in heaven and we are on earth. Therefore, let our words be few as we approach Him. So, application for today there's a few things one when we we think about going to the house of god now i want us to remember that that is not 225 keller parkway okay uh, we don't have a temple anymore we are the house of god now first um, peter chapter 2 verse 4 says in coming to him as to a living stone which has been rejected by men but is choice and precious in the sight of god you also believers as living stones are being built up as a spiritual house for a holy priesthood to offer up spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. So, both um, things are dealt with here. One, we are the house of God now. 
and we are to offer spiritual sacrifices, not the sacrifice of fools. So the question must be asked, how should we approach God? And, and there is only one way for us to approach God. There is the way, the truth, and the life. It is Jesus Christ. It is on the perfect sacrifice that we may come before him, um, which, is, which is why we can come and bring our petitions, our prayers, um, anything before the Lord is only because of Jesus Christ. And, and so if you do not know him today, please contact us and here at the church office. Our number is 817-431-2545. Speak with one of our pastors, and we will tell you how you can approach the Lord. And it is only through uh, the work and the blood of Jesus Christ that we can come um, before God the Father with our requests and our prayers in, in any way. And that's the only way we can approach him. So we must come in humility and remember that it is through Christ alone that we come before God. And when we come before him, we don't come with vows. We don't come with our efforts or our many words to try and get God to do something. We just come thankfully and gratefully before him and ask him to have his way in our life. This is the sacrifice pleasing to God, a humble heart, one that is surrendered to him to work and walk in obedience to what he has called us to, to good works that he has prepared beforehand. Let's pray together. Father, thank you for your word written to your people many, many years before us, but that is still full of truth that applies to us today. God, we know that you are holy, that you are in heaven and are much greater than us, Lord, and we no, it is only through the blood of Christ that we can come before you today. And so we, we do humbly um, thank you for that, for, for adopting us, for rescuing us, for, for calling us your children. And, and Lord, we want um, to be wise. We don't want to be foolish. So would you um, keep us from worshiping like the pagans, from offering many words and, and seeking um, with our efforts to command you, Lord, would that never be true of us here? But instead, will we go before you and offer ourselves as a living sacrifice that you can use for your kingdom and your glory. Um, help us to fear you rightly, Lord, to know you and to find you in your word and to love you this week. In Jesus' name, amen.